Okay, here we are now with chapter number 16 in our series, Impressions of Grace and Grit. This chapter is called, But Listen to Those Birds Sing. And Treya and Ken have found out that she's got quite advanced, aggressive tumours all through her lungs, as well as three tumours in her brain. And the American doctors say, or her doctors say, that if this goes untreated, she'll have six months to, to live. And more of their options are thought about, more of their treatment Ideas are brainstormed, all the different methods, they go through this and they look at all the decisions they have to make. And when Treya really pins them down about how much extra time they actually get with certain treatments, they said that if she got a partial response, which is to be expected since she had already been unsuccessful with certain processes, certain treatments, that she'd have about a 25 to 30% chance of getting an extra 6 to 12 months. So best case scenario, she's got about a year to live, according to these American doctors. So what do Treya and Ken do? Well, they go to Germany. Ah, Germany. What would we do without Germany? Yes, there really is no place like Germany. And they find themselves in this particular clinic in Germany, in Bonn is the city. And it's notorious for its most hardcore chemotherapy and cancer treatments. Some of the best in the world. Some of the most aggressive in the world. And, well, it's a different city, you know, there are different things around. Ken gets a room across the road from the hospital. And first time Trey is there, well, she is put in this room with these two other ladies who don't speak a word of English. And Trey, apparently, well, she speaks French and she speaks Spanish, but no German. So she's in this room with these two German ladies and one of them, well... She figures that if she just talks more German to her, well, then Treya will understand. So yappity, 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 talking, talking, talking. And eventually, well, Treya works out that Ken has made some way with the doctors and made some waves, I think the term is. And, well, something becomes available and she moves to her own room, which is quite small, but it actually becomes a very cosy place. And she doesn't start a full chemo treatment straight away because she has a chest cold. She has a chest infection. So she starts on radiation, but because of the chest infection, she can't do the chemo. And of course, when you're talking about chemotherapy, you need to be in full strength. You need to be fully functioning in every way possible in order for you to be poisoned and knocked down 
and almost half killed. And she goes through some changes in her body. Some things do start to develop and she does start the treatment. And of course the other thing is that, well, her diet is now changing because she's in a different city. And the hospital food, well, it's not very good. It's mostly meat and high sugar things, which she can't have. So Ken does a lot of work in providing meals for her. And she loses a lot of weight. And she becomes quite sick, very dizzy, high temperature, soaring blood sugar levels. And it becomes painful for her to lie on her side because she's lost so much weight. And as she's adjusting to her insulin dosage, she had to have, she had her first insulin reaction, which is very similar to a panic attack. And her blood levels became very low, dangerously low. People can black out or she can turn to having convulsions at, say, a level of about 25, and hers was down to 50. And it even got down as low as 33 before it stabilized. And she thought, oh, this means that there's a lot of up and downs in this place, isn't there? There's a lot of up and downs with this sickness. But once she does start onto the treatment, then she finds that there's actually no reaction at all. And the horror story that she had in her mind, the horrible experiences, horrific experiences of her first round of chemo, well, they actually didn't return. Because they're using a different chemical, they're using different drugs, they're using different combinations, and it's actually working quite well. And she turns to the doctor at a certain point and says, well, What's going on? This is so easy. And he says, well, yes. And it's a much higher dosage than what you were having in America. And as it turns out, well, there are certain combinations of drugs and certain dosages that actually aren't approved in America. And it also depends a lot on the diagnosis. So some drugs you can't get according to your diagnosis if you haven't got the right diagnosis for them, even though they might actually work as treatments for certain things, because there's so much red tape. And that's part of the advantage of being in Germany. That's part of the general reason that Ken and Treyer have decided to go to this clinic, because, well, the rules are a little bit different here. And the other thing is that, well, the doctors in America had been filling their mind with all these doom and gloom sorts of things. And actually, it turns out that if this treatment is successful, Treya still has a chance of a complete recovery. So at one point, she was thinking, oh, I've got 12 months to live. And now it's getting to the point, hey, it's still possible. And then she also starts to have some people visit her. And her sister comes over, and her parents come over for a bit. 
and she starts to make friends with some of the other patients, even another patient who speaks English. And there's also Edith. Do you remember Edith from chapter 11, the elusive chapter 11, the most technical chapter in this book? Well, that was the lady that Ken was talking about, talking with in that interview in chapter 11. And, well, she's German. So Ken gets her to come over and help out. And when Edith and Treya meet, well, it's sort of like a love at first sight. And Ken reflects that, well, more than once, he's found himself almost instantly pushed into the background as his friends met Treya and fell in love with her. And he's sort of like, well, okay, I'm her husband and everything, but a good friend of hers, you know, but uh, would you like me to arrange dinner for you and her? (laughs) And that's just a testament to the beauty of Treya, the beauty of the personality of the spirit. And some of the nurses, well, there's this funny moment where the nurses are sort of in and out, and one of them asks, what religion are you? Because Trey's got this sort of shrine thing set up. But it's a little bit confusing, because there's a Christian statue there, and a Buddhist statue there, and Oriental pictures, and... Uh, energy stone and it's a bit confusing (laughs) and Treya explains that well she's taken so many things from different religions she's taken things from the world religions to help her and to be a part of her understanding of the world and reality and some bits she doesn't like some bits she doesn't agree with philosophically For example, she doesn't like that in Christianity there is a very strong implication that, well, if you have a sickness, you're being punished for something. You deserve it. And that is implied in many ways, particularly in the Old Testament. And on the other side, well, she's got her practical... Buddhist meditation, the Vipassana meditation that she's been doing, and the Tonglen. So that's now a part of her personal routine. And she's got letters to reply to, and Ken gets her an exercise bike, and people send flowers and cards, and sometimes she's talking on the phone, and it turns out that she has actually quite a busy day, quite a happy day, and she feels, well... She feels rather good. She feels rather optimistic. She does manage to look forward to each day. To look forward to how things unfold on a moment-by-moment basis. And of course she had an initial anger at finding out that she's had a recurrence, but she's gained her equanimity and even joy, and people even start to hang out in her room, and it's very hard for Ken to get some alone time with her. 
And the fact is, well, she feels blessed. Blessed with her husband and her family and her friends. She can't believe how perfect her life is except for the cancer. And she even says to Ken, I don't understand it, but my mood is excellent. My spirits are good. I'm enjoying life. I like hearing the birds outside my window. I love visiting with all the people in the clinic. I don't have enough time to do everything. I look forward to to the day. I don't want it to end. I don't understand it. I know I may not live out the year, but just listen to those birds sing. And those are the words of someone who is very alive. Those are the words of someone who has a genuine joy in what's happening around them. And it turns out that part of it also is that, well, the rescue drugs or the anti-nausea drugs or the painkiller drugs that the Germans are using mitigate a lot of the problems that the American doctors either neglected entirely to speak about or weren't allowed to do. So after that first treatment, she feels fine. And that's quite a contrast to how it was for the Americans in America. The other significant character in this chapter is Dr. Sheaf. And Ken says that this man has one of the finest, fastest minds he's ever seen. And he notices that, well, this Dr. Sheaf, he's on a whole different level. For one thing, Ken and Treya notice that he's got certain books on his shelf which are of alternative medicines. And it's good to know that Well, this doctor has researched broadly. And as well as this, this doctor's actually read some of Ken's books. And it says something about the Germans who are, well, Germany, really, it's the the philosophy center of the world. Germany has a history of great philosophers. When you talk about philosophy in a modern sense, well, you talk about the Germans. And this man, this Dr. Sheaf, well, he fits into that. And the other thing is, well, he's also got the human touch. Because there's a beer vending machine in this clinic. (laughs) And Ken actually treats himself to some beer. And Germany is also, well, just like it's known for its philosophy... It's also known for its beer drinking, and Germany has the highest per capita consumption of beer in the world. And Dr. Schief says that, well, beer is the only alcohol that puts more into your body than takes it out. And it makes sense. There's actually a bit of a medical reason for it there, because when you have patients who are losing weight because of their conditions 
Well, maybe beer is actually a good way to put that weight back on. (laughs) But that's not for Treya. I don't think she's into that. It's more Ken. And Ken stopped drinking. He stopped drinking vodka when he left the Tahoe house during that dark period. So he's not big into drinking, but he does treat himself with some beer. And the other funny moment is when, well, Ken's been in and out with Treya of doctors for the last three years and one of his sort of staple questions is when they're trying to work out if a treatment would work is doctor would you give this treatment to your wife if it was your wife and dr sheaf well he says hang on no 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 you're asking the wrong question because you don't know how the wife and the husband are getting along you don't know how the wife and the doctor is getting along and so he says you should improve this question by saying Ask him if he would give it to his daughter. And that's quite funny, isn't it? Because he's got a good point there. It's a very sharp response to a question. And the doctor does go through options which are quite aggressive and that he wouldn't recommend. And he says that when you have a tumour... It's not just a tumour, it's also a human being. And some treatments are not best to be done considering the condition of life. And when Ken hears this, he thinks, well, if I had have seen that this is what a medical doctor is like after medical school, he might have never left. And it's quite remarkable because this is the most notorious clinic for aggressive therapy, aggressive chemotherapy, and yet the doctor is aware of the conditions of the patient. and He's even aware of things like the soul, the quality of the soul, those more esoteric parts of sickness. And Ken thinks, well, this guy's pretty smart. Let's test him with some of our theories. And he says, some say breast cancer is a psychological problem. What do you have to say to that? So this was the chapter where we were talking about, I believe it was the previous chapter where it was the new age. We're talking about how does the mind affect the body? Does the mind, do your thoughts cause sickness? And Dr. Sheaf says, well, Take a look at this. Between 1940 and 1951 in Germany, there was the lowest cancer incident rate, but the highest stress. Because, of course, that was when the war was on, World War II. Where were the cancer patients caused? By psychological problems then. Where were they? And, well, that's a good point, isn't it? And then Ken asks again, well, what about vitamins? Ken's a biochemist. They've been doing these megavitamin diets with Treya. How do they affect the body? And he says, well, yes. Vitamin C in particular does have an anti-cancer property. But if you give it at the same time as chemotherapy, well, depending on the type of chemotherapy, it actually can neutralize the effects. And he tells this story of this doctor who was selling chemotherapy without losing your hair. 
in a country. And what he'd do is he'd give them the chemotherapy and then give them this big dose of vitamin C, which would actually work to neutralize the effects of the chemotherapy. So it wouldn't do anything, really, in that case. And this doctor, Dr. Sheaf, well, (laughs) he's a bit of a character. You'll have to understand why, because, well, when you hear this next story, this next moment, you'll understand why he's such a character, because he went to this doctor and he proved it because he injected this chemical, this component of the chemotherapy, into himself under supervision, which was a lethal dosage, and then ate the vitamin C himself, and then said, look, see here, I didn't die, it neutralized it. So that gives you something, that paints a bit of a picture of what kind of doctor we're dealing with is, if it doesn't, if you wouldn't do it on yourself, then <laughs> it doesn't count, quite literally. So he's quite a character. And it's quite good that they have someone like this around. It's quite good that they've come all this way to this notorious clinic and things are working out. And Treya and Ken, well, they like him a lot. And there's lots of stories that surround him. And I get the feeling that he's just hes just someone that's switched on. You know, there's this other story where there's this patient who's afraid she's not going to go and see her mum, see her, see her, either her mum or her daughter, I forget, one of those, or maybe her son. Anyway, a family member. And the doctor sort of, Dr. Sheaf just says, look, I'll buy you a ticket and I'll get you the visa. First we treat you and then we work out how you can see your family. And that's just a just one of the many stories surrounding this amazing doctor. So a very important character in their story. And then there's also this one little bit where Trey's reading certain articles or studies or scientific magazines. And She's looking at things where they do this test case of 36 women who have advanced breast cancer and they try and work out, well, what causes them to live longer or not? And after seven years, 24 of the 36 women had died. And the doctor in this case study had found that anger made no difference at all to survival. The only psychological factor that mattered for survival within seven years seemed to be a sense of joy in life. And yet still still that was also inconclusive. And, and Trey is sort of thinking this and she thinks, well, okay, so if I'm more joyful, then I have more chance of living. And I am feeling joyful. But then what if I read this article and I'm not feeling joyful? Well, that would just make you more depressed. And then there's another article comes out which says something very different about, oh, you have to be insistent. The patients who are very insistent and very needy with the doctors and in the hospitals, well, they have a higher chance of living longer. And well, that's very different, isn't it? Should I be joyous or should I be needy? 
Do I have a really a choice in what I need to be or what I want to be or not? And Trey is sort of reading through all these articles and she's realizing, well, there's a lot of back and forth, is there? There's a lot of ups and downs and a lot of contradictions and there's always something new coming out and there's always this reaction in the mind of, oh, what does that mean for me? And she recognizes that she needs to come back to her equanimity, her grounding, and she does. She sees through the yo-yo of different articles in the media and that allows her to keep to her center, which is very important. So as treatment continues, they keep monitoring Trey's blood count. And it's really the thing that decides whether she can leave the hospital and actually go and see some of the place in Europe or not. And it does take some time, but her blood count does return. And she has another CAT scan on the tumours. And it turns out she's done well with this treatment. And she will have more scans soon. But it's looking like there's still hope. And as for her feelings, well, she feels very good. She's learned how to accept people's help without having to say, oh, I'll pay you back for that. She's learned how to allow people to let her take a compliment, allow people to give her a compliment. And there is this one letter which she receives from a friend, which has a very important line in it. It's this line that resonates quite well with Treya as she reads it. And she's talking about, well, the end. She's talking about death. And her friend says that, well, if it comes to that, I trust you will be able to do it with grace. And it's a very profound message to receive from a friend. And Trey appreciates it greatly because it says that the fight is not about winning. The fight against disease is not about how long you live for. But rather, it's actually about the quality of your interior world, the quality of your life. And it's very hard to see that difference on just the surface. It's easy to confuse the two. And for Treya to have a friend that recognizes that, well, it means a lot to her. And at this stage, well, Treya is even starting to feel so good that she wonders if <laughs> she wonders if she's getting the benefits of sickness as something she's attached to. 
maybe she's enjoying it too much and she won't want to give it up. So she's very high in spirits. And at the very end of this chapter, two little birds come down to her windowsill and take a little piece of food that she's left out. That just ties in nicely as a poetic image of how glad she is to hear the birds sing and to be around nature. And that's the end of that chapter, and we'll be back soon with more. That's all I have to say for now.